Shut up and sit down. everyone I was sitting here and I was reading um, Divided in Death if you're super curious by J.D. Robb and so I was waiting I had my headset on and I was waiting for the podcast to start and it said it said your podcast starts in five seconds it started counting off it sounded like a threat I was like well (laughs) Um. Anyway, it was a little startling. Because <laughs> I I had been tuning out. Because what it does is when you put when you turn when you, when you call in as the host, it kind of counts you down. So so it tells you when you have like five minutes out. You know, it kind of gives you the minute by the minute. And then when it gets down to that last part, I'd been tuning it out. And then all of a sudden, I got that five second warning in my ear, and it was startling. Anyways. <clears throat> That is hilarious, Boo. Apparently, for those who call in, the whole music sounds like 70s porno music. Not that she has any personal experience with 70s porno. (laughs) I got a maybe for those of you who are listening on the podcast. Um... Wow, wow. You know, honestly, the first porno I ever saw came from the 70s, and I was born in that vicinity, And I, but I didn't see it then. I saw it as an adult-ish. I was adult-ish. Um, and it was on a VCR tape. It might have even been like a Betamax tape, not like a regular VHS, but like the first videotape that came out. And there are probably kids in my podcast right now like, Beta, B-E-T-A, it's the first version of... Um, they were smaller tapes. They were smaller than the VHS. And when you go into the movie store, if you had, you could choose between a VHS and a beta. And eventually, VHS took over, kind of like how Blu-ray took over DVD. Um, but yeah, so I, you know what, dating myself with a beta, I had eight-track tapes that I played on a regular basis that's dating myself there are kids out there who have no idea what a floppy disk is okay so come on <laughs> anyway the first porno i ever saw was on a beta tape and it's like i said the smaller version of the vhs and i was like ah. it was ridiculous Yeah, the five and a half by one four, the five. Yeah, the real floppy disk. I um I had one. I had a regular floppy disk. You know the the three point five or whatever it is. Um, yeah, the three point five. I have them sitting on my desk. I had a whole bunch of them because you know my husband had rescued my my data from those uh, discs 
and that's how you guys, that's how I found the original draft of Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, which was, I guess, about 30% of what eventually got published on our website. Anyway, I had a stack of them on my desk, and my niece was like, what is this? And I told her, she was like, looking at me like, you're so full of shit. She didn't say it, but she was thinking it, because she just didn't believe it for a second. Honestly, even compact discs seem unusual to her. Um, CD-ROMs, um, she assumes they all go in the DVD player. And um, I told her that I was backing up my um, uh, my data to a CD-ROM to put in my, or a, it's a DVD-ROM, actually. And she said, are we going to play it downstairs on the Blu-ray player? And I'm like, no, honey, it's just data. Well, isn't it in a cloud? <laughs> She's looking at me like, you fucking dinosaur. <laughs> and yes, for the record, it is on a cloud. <laughs> it's on two clouds, actually, because I'm paranoid. And it's also, honestly, it's on it's on a it's on um a Dropbox, it's on Google Drive, and I back up some of it to OneDrive, and I have a DVD ROM. A, a DVD backup, and I also have a portable hard drive that I back up to too because I've had data, data loss, and once you've had an immense data loss, you never get over it. I had some mini discs. Um, I also had some really cute business cards once that were on a mini, that were like mini disc. Um, they were shaped like a business card. Uh, but they went in a CD-ROM player, a CD-ROM, and you could play the information on it, and it would have all my data for business on it. I was like, for a year or two, I had some of those. It was awesome. Anyways. <clears throat> Anyways. You know, I, I'm just thinking about it. My, my niece is probably one of those kids who would look at an old computer that have a a floppy disk disk drive and assume that's where the credit card went because what else purpose would it, would it possibly serve for her? <laughs> uh, anyways, Julie and I are going to talk about character redemption this evening because Julie is doing that for her April um, project. And those of you who are signed up for RT might have noticed that I haven't actually signed up myself yet. That's because I don't know what I'm going to write yet. But I've got time. So, Jilly, are you there? I I am here. I am okay. uh, muted, as I often am, um, because I was flailing for um, um, I was flailing. I put my water slightly out of reach. Not a good idea. So, <laughs> I was. Uh, <laughs> you wouldn't have wanted to hear that. There was a lot of swearing. I, you know, honestly, I think you um, have a, have um, underestimated my fondness for swearing because I probably would have liked to have heard that. <laughs> Speaking of swearing, um, me and my husband were squared off earlier in the day, shortly after his shower. That has relevance, um, especially for those of you who, uh, it was before his shower, those of you who read my live journal might know that my husband likes to walk around the house naked after a shower and before a shower. Anyways. And I was fussing at him, and he was fussing back at me. And I said, I'm going to sign you up for yoga class. And he was like, yoga? And I'm like, yeah, so you can learn to suck my dick. And we both looked down. 
Um, couples yoga is really challenging, um, just saying, <laughs> and lots of opportunity for um, groin injuries. So, <laughs> and I don't, I don't just mean from like overstretching. I mean from like your partner falling on your groin. It's a thing. I went to a partner's yoga class once, and um, there was more than one lady who took a tumble into her, her dude's lap. There well, was some men curled up that, that day. Be a deterrence or a pro in my um, column? I'm not sure. <laughs> Hypermobility means that your joints are extra flexible. I can bend my thumb um, back... Um, I guess 30% more than normal. Typically, most hyperflexibility is related to ligament and um, tendon flexibility. And the mm-hmm. way you counter that is to have strong, flexible muscles to support the hypermobile. Um, yeah, it's mostly in, mostly in my ankles. So it was nice to find out why I keep breaking my feet. That's, uh, yeah, I, I have the hyperflexible ankles too. Although for me, I mean, I have broken my foot once. Um, but mostly it's actually been good because I used to wear really high heels and I could mm-hmm. off of them to where my ankle would touch the ground and not hurt anything. Mine give and out on me. Oh God, um, and the older I get, the worse it is. Your yeah. No, I, 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 I did that. It isn't so much the ankle part because that never really hurt. It's the part where I fall down because of it. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Yeah. I go boom. I, I, ro- <laughs> I rolled off of a six-inch platform one day in front of coworkers, um, and my, you know, just my ankle flexed at such a strange angle, a angle that people thought that I, did, are you okay? Did you break your ankle? I'm like, no, I'm fine. No big deal. I do it all the time. It's cool. My ankle was never the problem. It, well, it is the problem because what happened um, the last time is I stepped off a curb wrong and my ankle gave out on me. And I fell and put all my weight on the outer bone of my foot. And it snapped. Ow. That's just supposed to be an injury that ballerinas get. <laughs> it even actually has a name related to, to dancing. Um, pro ballerinas are prone to that fracture. And I managed to do, a, um, um, do it falling off a curb. Go figure. Um, mine was my foot break. Three breaks was um, the name of the injury is the Liz Franck injury, and it's from what happens to you when you get shot off a horse and your foot gets stuck in the saddle and the stirrups. Um, and he said, "How'd you do that?" I'm like, "Dude, I don't know. I, I, no I did not get shot off a horse, though. I promise. I have not been on a horse. <laughs> no one shot me. There I was no horse on a horse." I don't even own toe shoes. I've no, I, I've seen one ballet my whole life. And, of course, it's the one that everybody's seen. Or the Nutcracker. Horse. <laughs> I get shot off a whore. No. <laughs> I've never seen Swan Lake Knot, but I, but I have seen the Nutcracker. Is that the same thing? It's not the same thing, is it? Swan Lake is it is Swan Lake part I know, but what's Swan Lake about? That's about the swan, swan. that dies. <laughs> I 
I've seen the ballet. I've never actually tried to track the story. <laughs> and the Nutcracker, there is a story to track, but I've never actually, I'm sure there is a Swan Lake, too, but I've actually never paid attention to it. I, I got watched, more out of know, the Nutcracker story in the animated version than I did the ballet. Just saying. <laughs> there was more character development there. <laughs> I prefer the op- I prefer opera to ballet, but, you know. Even when you can't understand it, it's more moving than ballet for me. I agree. And for opera, research, even, if, it, even if you don't have really good seats, it doesn't really matter because it's not about what the actors are doing on the stage or the singers are doing on the stage. It's, it's about their voices. It's very powerful. Hamilton was the best thing I've ever seen on stage. It was incredible. That was I mean, If you get the opportunity to go, go. Um, yeah, it was Hamilton was incredible, but that's neither opera nor ballet. But um, go do it. If you get the opportunity, definitely. If it's in your city, get tickets, go see it. Even though it's stupid expensive. Although I had somebody oh, tell me true. once, when Lion King first came out, um, the tickets were super stupid expensive. And I think he'd paid like $500 per ticket um, for the Lion King. And so the next day I asked him how it was, and he looked me right in the eye, and he said, the first 10 minutes was worth the price of my ticket. And I said, well, shit. <laughs> There you and go. He meant it. He meant it. So, our tickets to Hamilton were almost five hundred dollars um, in San Francisco, and um, I I knew I didn't regret I didn't regret going at all. And I I thought I'm now closer to Seattle, and I thought Hamilton's playing in Seattle now, um, and I thought about going to see it in Seattle because um, I do really, I enjoy it so much. I really want to see it again. But it's even more expensive in Seattle than it was in San Francisco. So okay. I was a little bit like, well, my goodness, the prices are going up. They're not coming down. Huh. I'll just wait for the DVD release. Eventually they'll put it on DVD, won't they? I hope so. Everybody should get to see that. Okay. But don't they normally do um, recordings of really popular things like that you can buy? Because I think I've seen cats that way. Usually, I think that, I mean, my guess would be that PBS, they've already, PBS has already done a special with, um, um, I'm blanking on the name of the guy who wrote the, um, I know his last name's Miranda, but I'm bringing down his first name. Um, He, um, PBS already did a special with him about the making of it, Mm -hmm. and I I saw that, and um, my my guess would be that they'll probably do, like, I'm kind of expecting someday there to be a, they may already have done um, a recording of it. Um, they'll release eventually. Because, you know, PBS got a lot of film <clears throat> on the... Um, so. Oh, that's something to look forward to. If you can't go see it in the theater, you should be able to eventually see it that way. I've seen Riverdance. Um, I enjoyed Riverdance. Um Oh, thank you. Thank you, Dark and Penumbria. Lin-Manuel um, Miranda was the guy who, uh, um, I, uh, I think he co-wrote most of the songs, but wrote the, wrote the, wrote Hamilton. That's cool. So we're going to do a segue into redeeming characters, sort of. <laughs> Character in- redemption. I think we also need to um, probably define a line between, um, Redemption and do-over. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a little bit different. Redemption implies, well, 
making amends, feeling remorse for your actions, actions that have already taken place, and owning them, and um, working to better yourself. Okay, I, mean, I was I this really asshole. I, I don't know that I agree that amends, the amends part of it, but yeah. Well, sometimes it, the amends, the amends is getting out of this, you know, getting away from the person that you've hurt. I mean, sometimes that's the best you can do for somebody you've hurt is to, to just leave them alone. That's not still amends, though. Face. Yeah, in, in its way. Still, yeah, it's not, in, it's not in their face trying to make them accept your apology. I mean, sometimes do-overs erase the person, what they've done, and they don't even know what they've done. They just get an opportunity to do it over. Um, so I think that I think that do-over, I think that I think that redemption, to some degree, there has to be a conscious aspect to it. Um, it can't be something they're unaware of. So. But you could also define it as in redemption to the reader and redemption to other characters. Because, like, if you yeah. go back in time and start Draco Malfoy off um, very young and you change him to the point where he never becomes the person he was in canon, then he's not redeemed for the other characters around him because they, they won't ever know him any differently because of the time change. But to your reader, he will have been redeemed. Right. That's a fan fiction thing. Redemption in original fic actually normally ends with the sacrifice of that person. (laughs) (laughs) When you think about it, that's how J.K. Rowling thinks that she redeemed Snape. That he made this big sacrifice play. And you see it over and over again in fiction... The um the bad guy or the the ambiguous guy making the sacrifice play um to save the day or to save the main character to um to make up for what they've done. Yeah, which in a way, I mean, sacrifice in your life um, is certainly a form of redemption. I mean, that's like the biggest price you can pay for what you've done wrong is your life. Um, I think that in, in some cases it's easier though than living with your mistakes. Um, yes. And, and having to live in a, in a life or in a world where you fucked up. Um, I think Yondo I, in um, Guardians of the Galaxy would be an excellent example of that. I agree. But he, Cause he um, brought all those kids to that asshole. And when he figured he, out what, he, what was in going a, on, he stopped doing it. But yeah, and that was in a way, even though even though he had a Peter had a rough time with Yondo, he um, he still Yondo still in a way, even though Peter wasn't aware of it, had begun his path of redemption by not turning Peter over to, to Ego. Um, he had you know kept him away from his father, um, and. And then I think he, he took the next step on his path or, or finalized his step in, in the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where he did sacrifice his life. Um, well, he he but, says it all in that line when the rac, what's it, rocket is arguing with him about um, staying. And he says, you, you, you got to give me this. 
Yeah. Cause he had, and that's he what I knew. Fuck it. Fuck me. They're going to kill him. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it. They he had to he had to live in a way, and it wasn't clear at all. Of course, it wasn't clear in the first movie, but in the second movie, it was really clear that he had had to since he since he um, basically since Peter had had to live in the consequences of his action. He I don't know it wasn't consequence living with the consequences of your actions is not really redemption, but sort of um, accepting punishment it is, is 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 a step in the right direction, accepting that, which was that he was cut off from the rest of the Reavers and he was kind of an outcast, which he was not happy about. Um, so, um, I think that is that is certainly one way. I mean, it's, what you when you're doing, I think when you're doing redemption in a story, um, how, what what the redemption is and how far it goes or when it occurs in the story depends upon how central that person is to, to the story. If Yondo, Yondo would be a difficult main character um, because, you know, he, he, his redemption is a little bit nebulous. It's a little bit there in the beginning, but you don't really understand it to the end. When you've got a main character who needs redemption, um, you have to work that in the whole story. You have to make your character likable um, and relatable even while they're... Um, even while they're sucked up, and I, there's a, especially in fan fiction, I think there's a little bit of a, a tendency to idealize, or even in original fiction, there's a, there's a tendency for the idealized main character. Um, but it's it's a little bit it's more challenging to have a character who has screwed up and has and knows they've screwed up and is living in the consequences of their actions, and um, so like. I, one of the first Harry Potter stories I ever read was it was sort of a Snape redemption fic. It wasn't exactly redemption because uh, maybe it was exactly that because he knew he was making different life choices. It was a Snape focused story, um, and um, it didn't have the story didn't have anything to do with Harry Potter. The central character was Snape, and he has a son that comes to he has I don't think he doesn't know at first that it's his son. And his son comes to Hogwarts, and his son is very determined to get close to him. And um, Snape eventually leaves. Not it doesn't take very long, but he leaves um, Hogwarts behind, and um, he's kind of suffering, burdened under the vows he's made to Dumbledore. Uh, and the story is really about his progression into kind of becoming a real boy, and shaking off the mistakes he's made and just building a life for him and his son and eventually falling in love with this original character who's a werewolf, which is sort of bringing about his own, you know, going full circle on his own prejudices. And it was a really beautiful story, um, but it didn't focus at all, um, or at least very minimally, on, you know, James, Lily, the Marauders, the whole Harry Potter arc, because it was kind of irrelevant to him taking himself out of an unhealthy situation and fixing his own life and kind of becoming a real grown-up for the first time. And that was one of the first um, uh, Harry Potter stories I ever read. And it was, um, it kind of gave me a soft spot for uh, Snape Snape Redemption stories. Um, So, but I don't read them all that often, you know? I don't read them all that often either because they often evolve into something that I find absolutely intolerable. Which is that he's with Harry. Yeah. 
Sprite because I don't think there's anything more offensive in the Harry Potter fandom than Snary. Except for, like, <laughs> Hermione and any Death Eater. <laughs> but, I mean, any genuine but, Death Eater? I, see, Old enough to be her father? I think when when I when you when I when you're dating characters, especially the adult characters in in Harry Potter, um, it works for me, you know, for the way that I think and the kind of story I prefer. When their redemption is, you know, it does not end in them um, in a relationship with someone they victimized. That's that makes me really uncomfortable. Um, so, yes, it's called The Gift of Light, and it was by Josanne, and it was written in 2003. It was a long time ago. Um, Josanne was an um, X-Files author, um, which is why it was one of the first Harry Potter stories I ever read, was because one of my favorite authors bailed on the X-Files. I was like, just go write Harry Potter, really? Um, really? You're going to write Harry Potter? Are you that's sure? That's where going. We lost. I've got, I've got, I've got so many readers that probably went, really? You're going to do that? Well, we had, we had this mass exodus from the X-Files to, to, to Harry Potter. And it's like they were all going to the same place. And it was like all these authors. I said, I'm done about writing X-Files, and I'm going to um, I'm gonna go write uh, – um, I'm going to go write Harry Potter. Now. And there were so many of them. I'm like, because to me, I didn't really know anything about Harry Potter at the time. Um, and I was like, you guys are going to go write in a, in a kid's fandom? What the hell? How can you go from X-Files? To the kid, the kiddies. I don't get it because I didn't know anything about Harry Potter, so except that it was children's books. So oh, I was a little bit, I was a little bit confused. Um, but yeah, this was really early in the Harry Potter arc. I think Harry's a student, but he's maybe a first or second year. I don't really remember where it sits in the canon. So I didn't even know Harry Potter canon um, very well when I read this story. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, if that, I'll, I'll try to find to see if I can find a gift of light by Joe Vance since I'm talking about it. Um, but um, it looks like it may have come onto AO3 through. Yeah, um, it came in. Looks like it came through um, through the archive through Open Doors. I'll paste the link in the here. archive. Yeah. Um, the Snitch Archive, or what was that? Um, Hex Files? Maybe. It looks like yeah. Nocturnus, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> um. You know, the thing about um, characters in Harry Potter, if you reduce them to their elements, um, Voldemort is, um, he's a lion. He's an animal. He's doing what animals do. But Snape, um, Presented the pretense of of remorse because he lost the woman he was obsessed with and then spent more than a decade verbally and emotionally abusing children and got away with it. Yeah. As bad as Voldemort is, he never pretended to be anything more than he was or anything less than he was. Yeah, some characters are harder to. I mean, I see a lot of the, a lot of the stories labeled um, Snape redemption stories or, or positioned that way 
or like what, more like what you said, but more like a do-over where even Snape isn't even aware, where it's just kind of rewriting his history so that Harry Potter events never happen. Um, that's not really redeeming him. That's just writing an alternate backstory for him. That's really the only way never... I can write him as a decent person. Is he have a different backstory? But changes history. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing I find that a little bit redeemable otherwise. <coughs> I'm doing that a little bit in um, April, um, which is that he, um, everybody has lived, everybody in the Harry Potter, you know, all of the people in the events Harry Potter have lived those events over and over again, and they come out differently a little bit every time. Um, but the way I had it, the way I've, done the plot the plot structure is that um there was a prophecy about James and Lily um and that uh Nape was cursed by Dumbledore to um cause problems in his relationship friendship with Lily to um push her and James together because James and Lily weren't getting along well so I'm kind of introducing a curse in there to kind of um, offset because event ultimately the events of Harry Potter, those events are ultimately not important to the story. Um, but it's important to Snape's motivation because everybody becomes aware. It's like you get in the afterlife and you're as Lord and Lady Magic, and you become aware of everything that has happened and the truth of everything. And ultimately, he wants an opportunity to live his life without the influence of, you know, mind-altering curses and whatnot. Um, so, but I feel like I did need to insert that in there to explain why he kind of, you know, went off the rails in, because um, I do feel like he has to kind of go back to his relationship um, with Lily at Hogwarts to kind of adjust his decision to become a Death Eater. There has to be people that somebody just doesn't decide to become a bigot who kills um, that's a hard that's a hard position to redeem somebody from. So, you know, the murdering of muggles and you know the sort of that racist mentality. So I thought like I needed to kind of back up before he became a Death Eater to insert some reason why he would be acting against the character that I'm trying to work on. So, um, No, you can compare Voldemort to Hitler, um, um, hating what he was um, and seeking to exterminate any um, evidence that he was that and exterminate anybody who looked like that because they reminded him of his own perceived inferiority. But um, Snape is um, gustingly human. Yeah, I agree. He's base. And I think one of the reasons why um, Umbridge is so hated among Harry Potter readers is because we've all met her. We've all met someone just like Dolores Umbridge. Who is horrifically, terribly human and easy to imagine monster lurking in the hallway of your school wanting to know why you don't have a hall pass. <laughs> Who probably
probably does want to torture you in a closet somewhere, but just doesn't have the guts to do it. <laughs> Voldemort is corrupt and evil. Like I said, he's like a predator. He's like an animal. But Snape and Umbridge are like a disgustingly human. I think Umbridge is utterly irredeemable. Yeah, I I don't know how I don't know how somebody who has that much hatred and that much ugliness in them I don't know how you take them without backtracking, like to when she's a kid. You have to erase everything, um, and then they're not even the yeah, character you have, that you want to redeem. Yeah, you do have to erase everything, um, and and then and then it's like you know kind of why bother. Um, Umbridge, there's nothing. There's nothing likable enough about Umbridge that you would want to go to that effort to to write the, you know, the young Dolores finding her way. It's just like what, the know, only what? interesting thing that I've ever kind of noodled with with Umbridge, and you have to take her before she ever uses that blood quill on Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, after she tortures a 15 year old boy, there's no there's no going back from that. But if you take her first, second year, make her an unspeakable, and make her a plant in Fudge's office, she can become something different. But even if you make her an undercover unspeakable, and you take her to fifth year, and you let her torture a 15-year-old boy, you've destroyed any chance you have of um, making her redeemable. Because anybody who would torture a 15-year-old boy isn't redeemable. Or a 14-year-old boy like Voldemort did it, or an 11-year-old boy like Snape did it. (laughs) Sympathetic characters don't, you know, torture people. So it's important. And one of the things that's interesting about redeeming characters in Harry Potter is that you have so much facility, you know, so much in the world building that you can work with to explain why they were the way they were. Um, and, you know, because you have magic, you have compulsions, you have potions, you have uh, curses. I mean, there's so much that could be count for why a character might be not irredeemably evil, but um, painfully human, as you say. Um because you can, you could work with the idea that somebody is under under the effect of a curse or under the effect of a potion or, or whatever. And um, now another another, I mean, another approach you you can do with a character that is not exactly redemption, but it's just to kind of get all up in in how they're bad. Um, it's sort of like writing. Um, pro-Death Eater story kind of thing. Um, But I don't think you can, I I think that you're not going to be able to, I think one of the things I see is like, I mean, if if that's what you want to do, like if you want to write, you know, Snape or or Malfoy or whoever as, you know, kind of in a pro-positive position is you can't then have them be, um, you know, getting together with people on the other side of the fence. You can't have them, you know, one of them dating Hermione or something, which is just like you said earlier. It's it's a, it's that's that's a weird place to go to. Um, it's like watching a racist it, date a black woman. 
Right. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, either just get all up in the badness or, and just, and then the other side is the enemy effectively um, and just deal with that. Um, How do you redeem Lucius? You have to erase his history. I don't, I don't know that you have to, it depends upon, I don't know that you have to erase it. I've read a few stories where Lucius was forced to take the mark. Um, you kind of have to play with, I think you can play with events to where he's in a, he still did bad things, but he's in a more sympathetic position. But you can't, for me, you can't stretch it to him being in a relationship with one of his victims. That doesn't make any sense. Um, sometimes people do bad things. You know, sometimes people have done bad things. And maybe sometimes people have good reasons for doing bad things. But for me, redemption for those people is not putting them in the face of their victims all the time. You, you know, so, like, let's say, okay, I'll switch fans here. Let's, let's, let's say in Teen Wolf, it's probably the best example I can give of this. Let's say that you really like Peter Hale. Um, there's a lot of ways to spin Peter's early actions in canon to being he was insane. Um, it's not really there's not there's a lot there's you know the canon is a little bit vague about what the effect of being in that coma, semi aware for six years with burns covering most of his body did to him mentally, but he seemed like he was kind of a nut job at first. Um, and the and the the level to which he was insane is really debatable. Canon's not really clear about that. Um, but he certainly sorry about very the typing. Conniving. I meant to mute you myself know, and turn somebody else on. <laughs> he certainly seems yeah, very I... um, conniving in canon, but you could stretch. I mean. It is canon that his niece, who became the alpha of their pack, went across the country and left him in a hospital where his family had been murdered under his real name where any hunter could kill him. So, I mean, it is canon that his own family behaved very egregiously towards him. So you can position him. He's still not a good guy in canon. But I think that there's room to position him to move on and build a life for himself. But How old was she when she ran? Um, it, that's really not clear, but probably in her late teens, early 20s. I'm not saying it's, she wasn't young and that there was maybe um, reasons for, you know, why she would. But she still had six years to do something about the fact that she left her uncle in a vulnerable position. Um and at that point, he hadn't done anything to deserve um, anybody's any mistreatment. So um, it's uh, I mean, Timo's very inconsistent about even how old Peter is. I think somebody says that depending upon canon, at the start of the show, he's somewhere between 25 and like 35, which is a pretty big age range. Which if he was 25 at the start of the show, it would have meant he was close to Laura's age when the fire happened. So, you know, but because Team Wolf, that actually works for you if you want to do a Peter Redemption story. It actually works for you that canon is so goofy because you could kind of do whatever you want in terms of the timeline. Um, But there's a lot to be said for the idea that 
you know, when he comes back after um, however, whatever bizarre mechanism he manages to bring himself back to life where he seems saner, there's something to be said for having him just go away and move on with his life and build something else. Um, and it doesn't erase the fact, I mean, whether he was insane or not, it doesn't erase the things that he did, but um, you could redeem that character in effect by having him just choose to get out of the face of the people he's hurt if he's in a saner state of mind and just go, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to stay here. But instead they kind of had him doing all kinds of weird shit, sometimes working with the pack, sometimes not working with the pack. It just, it was very, by the, if you, you know, go later canon, it was very strange. Um, it'd be very difficult to, um, for me to write a story where he redeems himself. But redemption could, you know, look like getting away from your victims and leaving them alone. Stop being a threat to them. So you're saying that in that particular instance that, like, after Peter had killed Laura, if he just trotted off and didn't bother Derek, it, that would be redemption? Uh, no, I'm not saying that just that would be redemption. I'm saying that, you know, if if, if he, he would have to have some kind of agreement with Derek and was like, look, I, I do think he was crazy when he killed Laura. I mean, it's arguable. You could argue one way or the other that he knew it was her or didn't know it was her. Um, but I do think he was, I mean, just my read on the way things went, I do think he was completely crackers um, at the point at which he attacked her. Um, but it can't be easy for Derek to be around his uncle all the time. And, you know, there could be a case of where, look, I don't want to keep hurting you. You're like the only family I have. Is it easier for you if I'm here or gone? And if the answer is it's easier for me not to see you, not to look at you, then then I think it's redemption. It's, it's taking a step towards redemption to get out of that person's face and go somewhere else. And not do that. You know, stay around and keep causing problems. There's a line I read in a J.D. Robb book recently that resonated with me. And one of the characters is talking about um, revenge and justice and punishment and crime. And she says, I believe in violence. And I'm like, yeah, bitch. <laughs> I do, too. I believe in violence. It had, you know, that's, that's not a very political way to be, to be, to be like that. But sometimes I think people just need to be punched in the face. <laughs> well, sometimes the, I agree, but at what point? Okay, so let's say that your character, the character that we identify with, um, normally, um, does punch the person who hurts them in the face. Well, then what? I mean, you don't want Well, your, it depends your, on the character. Well, that's true. It does depend on the character. But in general, you don't want your, the good guy to be, you know, to take up torture and murder as a hobby of everybody that's ever hurt them. I mean, occasionally that you works, but in general... You would think that'd be really unpopular, right? Like, I assume that'd be really unpopular. I did not expect for my readers to really get on board with Darkly Lowell, because Harry does a complete 180 from canon crosses the line and he never goes back and I'm wait is this the one that's going to make my fans hate me no 
Well, but you, I mean, you, I don't know that you can, in general, the thing is you aren't trying to position Harry, Hermione, and Draco as um, beacons of the light in that story. You're not trying to position no. them. They're kind of anti-heroes. And so it's a difference, it's a difference between if you're trying to position your character as a hero, the hero of the story and a good guy, fundamentally a good, good guy, I mean, we, I, I've, I've enjoyed several stories where the character goes dark um, and is, like, on a murder spree. But, I mean, it depends upon how you're positioning the character. You can't position Harry Potter as, as the good guy when he's engaged, doing things that are worse than Voldemort and then have him kill Voldemort um, because Voldemort's the bad guy. It's like, but Harry's worse. So, um, you know, I mean, it just depends upon It's all a matter of degrees, right? <laughs> Well, it's, it's a matter of degree in positioning. Um, it's how are you positioning your character? What are you? What are you? What are you putting them out there to be? Um, I don't know, why, but I do know that there's a whole group of people that runs around wearing T-shirts that say um, "Eat rude people." Well, that's true. Eat the rude. <laughs> And for people who write pro-Hannibal stories, they're positioning, they're not positioning Hannibal as a good guy. Right? Not even the one where Will tries to feed himself to him. Um, you read not, that. Not, no. That was you hysterical, pop, though. That was me. It was, it was, it was very you funny. It was very it was, funny. It was still it was gross, but it was very funny. Well, it's because Will Will was Will wanted to kill himself, and he's you know looking down. This is where his story starts, and he's looking down over off a bridge, and Hannibal's chucking limbs into the river, and you know Will's about to kill himself. He's pondering suicide, and his suicide is interrupted by Hannibal disposing of body parts, and uh, they get to talking, and he's like, "Well, do you want to eat me?" <laughs> and Hannibal's like, "Okay." <laughs> since you're offering. I mean, but neither one of them actually in that story were positioned as... Um, see, good. if I had written that scene, that line would have been followed by on my plate or in my bed. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I if think, I went there, that's where that would have went. I think it's like one of the one of like the best and worst things ever that like the canon of of Hannibal um, had such chemistry between the two of them, and they played it up. I mean, what did you say they called the murder husbands? Um, yeah, on the show they were actually at one point called murder husbands by the press. Yeah, I mean, they, they they named their own pairing. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. So it's. It, I mean, it, it is. It's almost. It's almost terrible because it's like some of the best chemistry, male male chemistry I've ever seen on TV, was between those two, and it is just for me the idea of writing a pairing where where cannibalism is involved is just so I just can't get there. I mean. It's like, yeah, it's I would like have the to part do a complete me. AU where Hannibal never had that terrible experience and had to eat his own sister. Right, right. That would be like a that is yeah, the history of Hannibal. His history. Right. Nazis I mean, uh, it, killed his sister and made him made him eat her. 
It was, it was, it was absolutely his, his history was absolutely horrible. And you understand how he became the way he became. And the two of them on screen together were electric. And yet there's this hard limit for me of cannibalism. <laughs> um, I when I watched that cannibal movie, I have to say that when he ate the Nazis, I wasn't upset about that. Because he did get them. No, I wasn't either. He did get them. I was like, yeah, he get them. <laughs> but that reminds me of a point when I realized that I had a I had an issue. Those of you who've ever watched Dexter, there is a um Dexter kills somebody. He's a serial killer. And and he had the parts broken up into his method and he had them in his car. He was very tired. He was working double shifts, and he killed his person because his person just needed it. And because he's body parts in the back of his car, and he has a car accident. And through the whole thing, I'm thinking, "Oh my God, you're gonna get caught! Oh my God, you got a body in the trunk! Shit, shit!" That's when I realized I was inappropriately invested in the serial killer. Don't worry, he didn't get caught. <laughs> But I was super worried about it. I was stupid worried about him getting caught. And I was like, damn. <laughs> that is really inappropriate. But now, I, could, I could write a main character who is a serial killer. I could write, um, I could not write a main character who is a cannibal. Uh, cannibalism freaks me out. No. So, um, but I watched this I show. I just couldn't, I couldn't write a serial I just couldn't write it. But I couldn't write a serial killer. Yeah, you dancing in Mad, Mad, what's his last name? Mad, Mad Mickelson. They have mad, yeah, mad they have some mad-ass chemistry. I mean, I'm like, I, what? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, there, was a, it's, there was one scene in the season one where he, Hannibal, has got Will pressed up against a ladder in his office. They're kind of like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, you guys, why don't you just fuck? <laughs> what's left? me. And they have that moment in they have all these moments in Hannibal's office. They have this moment in Hannibal's office where um, he's talking about Abigail, and he's you know he's trying manipulating Will, but he gets right up in it. He's right up close to him, I think over his shoulder at the window, and he's like, "We're her. We have to be her father's Will." And I was just like, "What are you guys doing?" And then they have that <laughs> montage. Own it. <laughs> There's that montage, I think it's in season two, where Hannibal is having sex with, um, I'm blanking on the um, the psychiatrist's name, the psychiatrist's name, Alana. He's having sex with Alana, and it's like cutting back and forth between Will, Will in bed, and then Hannibal and Alana in bed, and then Will, I was like, what are you bitches doing? <laughs> I mean, it was so weird. You know what, though? You could say a lot about those writers, but they knew how to feed their fandom. Oh, and they, they, I'm pretty sure, I don't even, unlike unlike like Teen Wolf, which I was really bad at queerbaiting, I don't think Hannibal was queerbaiting at all. I think they delivered without overtly putting them in a relationship. Because overtly putting the two of them in a relationship um, would have really violated Will's characterization in the show. Um, which is why Will, you know, I, in a way, you really do think Will really did love him. That's why he had to kill both of them at the end. Um, but yeah, when you know. when Hannibal sticks that knife in Will, you're thinking, oh yeah, penetration's finally been achieved. Yeah. 
Is that terrible? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, okay. <coughs> Anybody else want a cigarette? <laughs> that scene looked like sex. It did. And it was, him getting yes. it was him getting gutted. Yes, it did. It was disturbing. Yeah, it was horrifically disturbing. But it was also profoundly sexual. I, yes. And I, I would be, I would be spending all of my time in that fandom if cannibalism wasn't involved. I just can't get there. I mean, I can't. It, it just freaks me out. So I would, like you said, if I, even if he were a serial killer, I could deal with Hannibal being a serial killer. I can't deal with him eating people. And honestly, being in a relationship with a serial killer, I mean, how do you, how do you do that? How do you let the serial killer suck your dick? I mean, I, I mean, a cannibal suck your dick. That is like. You're the bravest person ever. You gotta be careful, like what with what you tell them to do, like um, because literally, eat me takes on a whole new meaning. Um, a whole new meaning. Yeah. Yeah. No teeth. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, like I said, I can, I can get, I could, I could get, I could, I could so get through with them. I cannot deal with this and I haven't. I haven't been, I mean, I guess I could, you know, like you said, reinvent it to where he is a killer, but he doesn't eat people. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I couldn't. Or, I couldn't you know, him. he could just stop eating people for Will. <laughs> I'm willing to make this sacrifice for you. I'm still going to kill him, but I, but I won't eat him anymore. Well, I've read, I mean, I see, like, I mean, I have, I have a friend who's very into yeah. Hannibal, and she's the one, um, she recommends, she recommends several stories, and I'm like, I just can't. I mean, she, so she, she, she'll tell me, like, the funny one, read the funny one, but I just can't get there. But she says that there's, apparently, it's, it's a common um, trope that, um, um, I guess, Will becomes, like, the gatekeeper of who Hannibal can kill. Um, but, but I guess he doesn't even stop the cannibalism. He just only, you know, kills people that Will approves of or something. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know how Will makes that. But the bigger problem is how Will, for me as a writer, is how Will makes that transition um, from what he does in, in canon to being okay with being with somebody who kills people. Um, the eating thing is just really like, grosses me out. So, I mean, that I can't. Honestly, I, I had out. a hard time watching anybody eat in that show. Yeah, except for, except for that scene where um, Freddie Lowndes is because she's a vegetarian, and she and you know Hannah wants to make her a vegetarian dish, and she's just happily eating. And I was like, you don't know how lucky you are. You don't know how lucky you are that you're a vegetarian. You see, during that thought, I thought to myself, oh my god, what what did he put in it? Because I never assumed it was actually vegetarian. Don't disillusion me. Don't disillusion me. <laughs> I'm just saying. I never really thought that it was vegetarian. <laughs> I mean, he could have made it with bone broth for all I know. I'm just saying that I never really thought, literally. I mean, I just I didn't really think that it was vegetarian. But <clears throat> maybe it was. I'm not saying anything. Maybe, maybe he was willing to respect I mean, her, her dietary requirements. <laughs> He certainly had his own. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm even I'm even good with the murder husband thing. With like, well, eventually somehow, whatever path you go to, I'd even be good with you know them going being killers together. I'm fine with that. But 
I just, I, I, I would have to take the cannibalism aspect out in order to be able to write in that fandom. But I mean, the chemistry is so appealing between them. So appealing. But now that's a case of where I don't know, I don't, uh, I don't know what redemption would look like in that fandom. I don't know that you can get there. I mean, um, I think the smallest bit of, a, of, of redemption that you could get would be um, Hannibal retiring um, and no longer killing. Or Hannibal at least stop eating people, <laughs> because then redemption becomes a matter of degrees, right? <laughs> right. He, he's because in that particular family, rude people do need to die. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. But I don't think I don't I don't think you know redeeming a character necessarily means that they. Um, you know, work the work the virtuous the steps in some fashion, and admit that they were wrong, and and go and make make amends for their bad acts to the person they made the bad acts to. Um, um, especially if you're getting doing a pairing where one side of the partnership has hurt the other. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, like you said, it's a matter of degrees about you know. Because if you take Will, like you said, over the line to where Will crosses over to where he's more bad guy than good guy, so you've got now you've got your kind of your bad guy kind of anti-heroes, then the degree to which Hannibal has to make amends is a little bit different. Um, but, I mean, if Will stays But that's on not the side redemption, the FBI, that's corruption. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That is more corruption, but it's it's essentially difficult. But it depends upon what you're redeeming them for, right? And, and yes, too, you corrupt will. Like I said, if you're if you're redeeming to an, another another character in your story, it's different than if you're redeeming the character for the reader, right. for the reader's benefit. And sometimes I think you can redeem a character for the reader's benefit just by taking them out of their canon circumstances and having them stopping, you know, their nonsense and, you know, tomfoolery and acting like an adult. I don't know. Adulting's hard. Adulting could be harder than giving up cannibalism. (laughs) (laughs) Challenges. Depending on the character. Um, Depending on the character. I mean, you could. I don't know why you would want to, but you could write a um, Ron-centric story where you're redeeming Ron for the Ron Weasley, where you're redeeming him for the reader, where it's just focused on you know that he realized that he and Hermione weren't good together, and that you know she should be with Harry, and um, that he hadn't been the best friend to either of them, and they needed to do their thing, and he's off. Even he has that awareness, you know, an awareness of his failings, and he goes off, I don't know, and does something self-sacrificing for a few years and tries to grow as a person, and then gets on with his life in America. I don't know. I don't know why you would want to write that story, but you could. I, I, can't I just don't see it as plausible. To... I'm thinking, it's not plausible. <laughs> the whole time you're talking, I'm like, I just, I can't, I can't get my brain around it. The one time I have 
Ron um, as a good person in a story is when he realizes early on that he's actually gay and he's been trying to use Hermione as a beard. Actually, he doesn't realize it. She realizes it for him. And she's like, Ron, you don't like me. You're gay. He's like, oh. Oh. I mean. Oh, God. Sorry. (laughs) And then, like, Molly blames her for him being gay. I think, I think, wasn't Ron. Because you know she would. um, Yes, she would. Wasn't Ron, um, Ron wasn't a bad guy in Versus Perfect King, that I recall. Not yet. But at at oh. that point in Ron's life and Birth of the Serpent King, um, he's getting everything he wants. You don't see Ron act out in canon until he doesn't get what he wants. And Birth of the Serpent King, when it first starts, um, Harry's obviously not going to be competition, right? He's realized that Harry's not ever going to be competition for Hermione's romantic attention. She's agreed to to be closer to him, to be with him. But what happens when she doesn't? That's the thing about Ron and, and Canon is that he he is exactly who they need him to be as long as he gets everything he wants. Yeah. And as long as Harry doesn't throw anything in his face, even though Harry doesn't. But you see it early on and even like um, second year when Harry is trying to avoid Lockhart and Ron is is kind of an asshole about Lockhart wanting to be famous with Harry. You know what I mean? Like he's getting attention he doesn't deserve or doesn't need. And it over and over again that theme rears up in canon, where over and over again he is um, uh, to um, swallow something he doesn't want to swallow, and uh, he acts out, turns into a putz. I love that word, putz. Yeah, Ron is—he's um, got a lot of character flaws. I mean, that's why I said I think you—I think you could write a Ron redemption fic. You have to back it up a little bit. Um, again, it's more redeeming him for the reader than redeeming him to anybody else. To, to anybody else, because um, you have to—somebody would have to recognize you would need an external force who would come in and say, "Okay, you're headed down a bad path, and we need to straighten your butt out." Um, so, um, I think you could. I just, I mean, I, I don't think that he's enough of a beloved character that people would um, go down that path with him. Would want to redeem him. It's sort of like Ziva. I mean, you could write stories to redeem Ziva, but why would you want to? Um, and people who write Ziva positive stories don't feel she needs redemption. So it's sort of a catch one of those things. It's like, yeah, it's like it just doesn't happen. Um, you could, I mean, I think you could write, I think most characters you could in some fashion, at least for the reader, write a redemption story for them. Uh, it's a matter of why you want the characters you see happening with are more the characters people like who are bad, um, like um, Snape, um, Peter Hale, um, even Voldemort. Um, 
people do write. I think you have to take Voldemort way back before way back. the murder of Myrtle. I'm, I'm taking Voldemort all the way back to his birth um, to deal yeah. with the love potion thing. So, not preconception. And the story I'm writing in April, um, the issue is, is that within the first year of his life, he needs to have the effect of the love potions. That's why I'm writing it. Within the first year of his life, he needs to have the love potion, the effect of that love potion purged from the system. Um, and if it's not done, the damage it does to him, him emotionally and, and magically is irreversible. And that's, um, so it's, it's going to be solved, you know, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's like Clay, some events have to happen, but we need to get him in that first year. So I'm going back to the moment of his birth. Um, no, I'm not going to have Harry go back and raise Voldemort. <laughs> I'm doing Snape. I read one of those ones where Harry went back and um, basically rescued his mom and him from the orphanage where she gave birth. And he raises, he marries her and raises, is it Mario, Mar- Marihope? Ever how you say it? Marope? Um, Marope? Is that how you say it? Marope. I've always pronounced it Marope, but I don't actually know how it's pronounced. Marope. Marope? Marope. Marope doesn't. I don't think so. Marope? <laughs> Mar- Marope does not, does not make any sense to me. Marope. Marope. Like Calliope. That Marope. sounds a little it's better. It's Marope. <clears throat> anyway, he marries, um, Harry marries Marope and adopts Riddle um, and raises him. Um, and what's interesting, you said about the love potions being purged uh, because they aren't, obviously, in this fit because it's, it's not relevant. And Tom grows up but he's still not quite as good as Harry wants him to be. And over and over again, Harry um, fixes it, tries to fix him. Even when Tom kills the gaunt, the gaunts, he kills his grandfather and uncle and um, for what they did to his mother. Um, Harry goes and fixes it and it tells him, son, you have to be better. You have to be better. And it, even at the end, you're thinking to yourself, oh, Harry, he's never going to be better. It's very good. It's a very good story. I'm not sure Rich what Lily was saying no to. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I don't agree with the bad seed theory, um, but oh, it's yeah. interesting that that, um, that magical corruption um, with the love potions uh, would be in him. How are the love potions in him? Well, he's no, that's a plot question. Never mind. Is there something canon about him about being conceived under a love potion? Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, his mom Basically, potions Tom Riddle Senior. Right. It's not. It's not. It's not. He's not the love potion. It's the fact that he's conceived under the love potion, which I would think um, would, could, in some fashion, affecting him at least magically. So I think the effects of that need to be magically purged in some way. Um, which is at least that's the way I'm writing it. Is that you know it has to happen before the child's core really starts to settle. Um, 
that that effect of those potions have to be um, um, the effect on their magic rather has to be purged in the first year so. I think that's really interesting because more often than not in Harry Potter, um, people um, categorize spells and curses and hexes by dark and light, but potions often aren't separated as dark or light and or gray. And, and obviously some potions would qualify as, as dark magic. And I think love potions would be one of them. Um, I agree. Or lust potions. Or and poisons and um, drought of the living death. If you're not going to give the person a cure, would definitely be a dark potion. Um, so that kind of thing, you know, there that isn't often explored in fan fiction. I don't think it'd be really interesting. Ooh. Um. <sighs> Come on, boo! I'll let you be on my podcast and everything. <laughs> and that's how you treat me in my chat room. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> Some things you just don't need in your brain. Um. <laughs> How um, it is? Harry goes back in time, and he uh, and he rescue and he rescues Mariope. Mar- Marope. Um, I'm probably gonna never get that right because of how, you know how when you pick a word out and you figure out how you want to say it in your head and it's permanent. That's what that is. Um, well, think of it, it. It has the same kind of pronunciation rules as like Calliope because it's Greek, so it would be mm-hmm. Merope. So think of Calliope. Um, and then you'll but he marries her and adopts Tom, and um, it's interesting. Um, I've seen. I I I don't know that I've read a story where maybe I have. I may have read one. It's kind of like something vague tipping at the back of my brain. But I have read a lot of summaries where, like, Harry goes back and, and raises um, Voldemort. And I guess I think the reason why I picked Snape instead to go back and raise him is because I feel like Harry is, like, a primary victim. Um, I don't know. I just – it's like, you know, I'm like, I don't know. For me, it's like a step too far. Um, it's like how much because I have that theme running through most of my work is how much do you expect Harry Potter to sacrifice? What is enough? How much more does he have to give you before you're satisfied? And that theme kind of runs through all my work because in in fandom it just seems like Harry's asked repeatedly over and over and over again to make the sacrifice play. Mm-hmm. I read this horrific. I read this horrific story once, um, and not horrific in the, the writing was quality because it was it was it was great quality writing, but um, it was labeled Harry Hermione. And I'll, oh yeah, I love Harry Hermione. So I click on it, but it wasn't. It was what it was was is that Harry and Hermione had their night together, and then decided um, that they owed the Weasleys to have relationships with him, and they ended up married to Jenny and Ron. Ew. I'm thinking to myself, what kind of fucked up world do you live in where you think you owe somebody their bo- your body? For what? Being decent human beings? I mean, I guess they're positioning it that way that because because the Weasleys were decent human beings, they owed them marriage. That's just gross. It's And that's assuming you buy into the idea that the Weasleys were decent human beings, but Right, and I don't. Um, but but Yeah, I know you don't. 
but um, that's why that's why when I was you know doing the story is um, I decided not to use Harry. If I do feel like you know saying go back and raise this person who killed your parents um, um, is you know, I, for, for this story, I feel like it was a step too far. Um, so. I have a scene in my head that I read somewhere. I'm not sure if it's the same one word that I read where he marries Merope or not. But Harry's at the... Harry has died. Um, Oh, good Lord. (laughs) And he's met Dumbledore as he does in canon. And Dumbledore gives him the choice as he does in canon. You can go back or you can go on. And, of course, Riddle is the horcrux that... uh, Harry was carrying is is huddled there and Harry asked Dumbledore again he said I have a choice and he says yes you have a choice and Harry picks the baby up and Dumbledore says whoa 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 wait and Harry's like but you gave me a choice and that could be the same one where he goes back in time because when he picks up Riddle he, he picks up the baby version of him And he goes and back. I could see, I could, I could see Harry doing that. I could, um, I could see Harry making that decision. Um, but again, I, it's just I, like, I, how much, how much does he have to give up? How much does he have to sacrifice? Is there a moment when it's enough? She's just okay. being a troll now. Yeah, she is. I can't. I, I'm, I'm not even gonna look at chat anymore. So if anybody has anything special to say, say it later. Um, the um, I, I I started reading a story one time. Um, I don't know. I don't think that I finished it. There's a lot of Harry Potter stories that I start and don't finish. <laughs> um, it's probably the biggest um, exit fandom for me, where I would like start and start and exit. And so sometimes I I have a, a, an idea of how a story started, but I can't connect it to anything. And maybe I finished it, but it's likely that I didn't. Um, but it was an interesting idea was that, um, and it's, I thought it was particularly in her character for Harry, which is it was a different idea of what happened to Voldemort when he was defeated, which was that instead, like, his last part of his soul was turned into an infant. And the um, the order wanted to kill the infant. And Harry was like, I don't think so. You're not killing him. And... Um, I don't remember the mechanism by which Voldemort became an infant, but he fought the order in order to protect Voldemort and let him start over. Um, and I think that was perfectly in character for Harry. It's just good grief. How much more is expected of him? That reminds me of the story where Harry defeated Voldemort by turning him into a footstool. That was funny as hell. A really nice footstool. Nice. And Hermione tried to kill the footstool. <laughs> and Harry named him Oswald. <laughs> and Oswald fell in love with Harry's trunk. <laughs> the dark ottoman. <laughs> Oswald the ottoman. <laughs> Yeah, I I have to agree um, with um, 
Dark Serafina that a lot of times there are a lot of really interesting premises that uh, do devolve into harem stories. And um, If I have a pet peeve yeah, in Harry Potter fandom, it's the harem story. I can't fucking stand it. I, I won't read one. I, I don't. I don't care whose harem it is. I don't care if it's Hermione and her harem. I'm not reading it. I just. I don't. It's just not how I perceive relationships. So I. I. I can't go there, and they do have a lot of harem stories. And, and uh, ew. What are you Come on now. reading? What are I you read one read? We, once, and I didn't realize it was. Um, um, tag dubious consent until afterwards, but I clicked on it, and I don't know why I clicked on it. I just did. Okay, I, I clicked on it because I was curious. It's kind of like a train wreck. It was Hogwarts giant squid, and the giant squid seduced. Seduced who? Oh, Hogwarts. 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 Yes. I. I hope she was comparable. <laughs> I hope there was comparable level of sentience because otherwise that's really unfortunate. Um, I think that's why I, I like with dubious consent. I don't know. I was like, and I realized um, what was happening and I clicked off of it, but then I got train wreck, like I said, so I clicked back. <laughs> I'm like, what is wrong with, what is wrong with fandom? Everything is wrong with fandom. Everything. Everything is wrong. No, it wasn't Harry having sex with the castle. It was the giant squid having sex with the castle. But isn't there one where Harry turns into a squid too? And he and the giant squid get it on. I mean, I didn't read it, but last time the giant squid sex came up, somebody mentioned that story. I, 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 you know what, though? You know what's really unfortunate about squid sex? Do you know that in squid sex, the the male squid just rips his dick off and sews it at, at, at the female? Or sorry, was that no. the horses? No, it's, squid. It's literally go fuck yourself. If they both are squids, is it, so that's like a dildo exchange or something? Is they both boys? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's a giant squid female. I I can't I can't I can't I can't, I can't <laughs> keep going down this path. I can't do it. <sighs> anyway, I do think that the better um... tentacle sex is not my line. I'm not saying I I look for it. But I don't turn it down when I see it, as as, lo- as long as it's consensual. It's clearly not your line. You put it in a story. Well, I didn't actually describe the tentacle sex. Well, I, it was it's a still joke. There, it's still happening. But there's that SGA fic where Atlantis grows tentacles um, because of John's sexual fantasies and services McKay, who. Wasn't immediately on board because hello, squid coming out. Of, you know, tentacles came out of the wall, but he got pretty much immediately on board <laughs> because hello, hey, is, tentacles jerking him off. 
as long as everybody is good with it, I mean, like I said, I, I, tentacles, okay. Because um, everyone needs love, too. So, um, but, yeah. Anyway. There's no redeeming the giant squid for fucking Hogwarts. That's just inappropriate. But <laughs> That's just inappropriate. <laughs> Hogwarts is a lady. You don't do that kind of thing. Um, I do think that redemption for the reader is more, um, for me, it's a, I think it's a little bit, a little bit more the more interesting storyline. Um, I guess it's a lot because redemption to somebody somebody's been hurt, that can go really wrong. Um, and it can just, it often doesn't make for good or interesting story. Um, I don't know about anybody else. I'm not personally interested in um, reading a story where someone, you know, spends the whole time making amends, unless it's, like, funny. I mean, you could go a funny path with that, where you'd have this kind of amusing thing going on. Um, but in general, redemption from one character to another, I think that that, it's such a bit serious. It could be, um, I don't know, I don't think it would be a trope. It's not a trope that I would explore, so I wouldn't even know what to do with that. I mean, the closest we've gotten to talking about that here is um, Hannibal stopping eating people. Right. Isn't exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because real redemption in that kind of situation would be like, how does Han- other than to go to put himself in jail, how does Hannibal make up for, you know, the mind games he played or how does he make up for um, changing Will's diagnosis when he had um, uh, whatever that, uh, the encephalitis. Um, I mean, he let his brain cook. That's some serious redemption needed right there requirement that you need that he needs to restitution yeah. versus redemption well but I don't know what either one would really look like realistically well I not mean, for Hannibal no than... because redemption is, is, is demonstrated in your behavior in your actions right. um, it's showing remorse for what you've done and stopping doing what you were doing and um striving to to heal the wounds that you've created with those mistakes but restitution um has an element of punishment to it yeah and that's where you get into like the penance thing or whatever but the difference between being forced to go to jail and getting and and getting put in a 12-step program yeah, I mean, I guess redemption could be something like, in the Hannibal fandom, um, I guess it could be something like, look, I didn't mean to, you know, maybe he realized he cares about Will more than he cares about his game, and so he um, busts him out of the the, the loony bin that he was in. Um, it doesn't necessarily set them up for, like, a good life together or anything, but it's I guess he could admit I'm the one that really did it or I framed Will or um, he could even have a moment before Will is caught where he goes and removes all the evidence that he used to frame Will. Um, I mean, that would be kind of an act of redemption where he's like, okay, I did, I was playing a game here and I did set you up to frame you for my crimes. Um, but I think that I will, 
reverse that decision. I'm going to go and he could even even write a story where he gets caught, like taking um, all that, you know, bits of people that he put in Will's fishing lures and stuff out of them. That Will walks in on that and Will's like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, well, I left some bits of people in your tackle box. And um, I kind of really care about you. So I'm, I rethought that and I'm taking the evidence out of your house that I used to frame you. Um, I mean, it's kind of serial killer sweet. love story kind of thing. It, yeah, serial killer sweet. If serial killer is sweet, that's, that's what they do. Um, they go and get the bits of people they left in somebody else's tackle box and dispose of them. So I could see that kind of being an act of remorse slash redemption. It's like, okay, I'm going to try to be a better person. I'm really having a hard time taking myself seriously right now. Um, The only time I've enjoyed the potential for a harem is in that fic where Hermione and Luna and Harry um, and Susan Bones all go back in time because their life sucks. And um, Hermione's like one step away from being arrested for a serial killer because she keeps inviting Death Eater parents to Hogwarts and killing them because she's the headmistress. Anyway, um, and they go back in time. And Neville accidentally kills Snape before Harry can. And all the little girls in the school are so impressed um, with Neville that they become his girlfriend. Because <laughs> he kills Snape. <laughs> but he's 11, so it isn't like he was really, you know, indulging himself as one might do if one has a harem. <laughs> he's 11. <laughs> he, might, he might be getting little kisses on the cheek. He's not getting, you know... I don't think at any point you can actually step away from the bad fic because it's kind of like you you get uh, you get so far in you don't know how bad it is until later. Yeah, I mean, you I mean you're thinking, oh shit! <laughs> well, what the hell was I reading? You're, you're in the midst of um, um, the crazy, and you're like. Uh, it's awful. Uh, I should I should leave, but I need to see just how bad this train wreck is going to be. Um, I'm just a man on vacation. Um, but speaking of, in, in no. terms of like. Since you mentioned Neville, um, the idea of, I mean, I don't know if this exists, it may, because like I said, I don't read harem stories, but um, the the idea of Bellatrix in a harem of Neville, or positioned in any way romantically to Neville, gives me hives. I mean, I can almost feel the hives busting out of my back just thinking about it. Um, Bellatrix's behavior, even if you wanted to write a Bellatrix redemption story, I don't think you put her in Neville's orbit. Um, the things that the, the strangers did to Neville, I mean, I just, that is, you'd have, that'd have to be a do-over 
um, you can't you can't just you just can't wave a magic wand and have Neville get over that. I mean, that's just really. I think what I think what happened for to me, I think what happened to Neville's parents is worse than what happened to Harry's parents. I agree. Um, I mean, it's the really, suffering really, is it's really atrocious. I did read a crack fic once where um, somebody breaks Bella out of jail, and I don't know who it is. I forget. Um, and tells her that uh, about the Horcrux and Harry. And tells her it's her job to keep Harry safe for the Dark Lord. So she becomes his bodyguard, whether he wants it or not. Crack is very dangerous. Crack is dangerous. I'm not sure that's a redemption fic either because she's very proactive. Oh, Lordy. Which is amusing in its own way. It wasn't meant to be serious. Um, it might have been serious who broke her out, now that I think about it. Anyway, um, it's funny. Did you ask your question about RT? I didn't see it pop up. Oh, there it is. Um, okay, her question is, and I'll put it on the podcast because anybody listens later, and it might, might be a question they want to ask. The about pages for the new challenge, we can write in a story we've already started as long as we can add 30K. Yes, that's true. Would I post what I have in a single post? Also, um, the one I'm thinking of writing is a story I've only just started and never posted anywhere. It isn't a previous challenge. Is that okay? Yes, it's okay if it's not a previous challenge. It can be a work in progress that nobody's ever seen. It can be a work in progress that's been on another site. But if your work in progress is on another site, do not expect me to be your gatekeeper. I highly recommend you remove it from AO3 or your blog or your EAD before you put it up on Rough Trade for the challenge because you don't want some asshole coming over to your AO3 or your blog or your EAD to complain about what you're doing on RT because I will not defend you there. Hope that makes sense. What was the first part? You're limited to 40,000 words per post on RT. That's the limit. It's either 35 or 40. And it um, so if your story is longer than that, you you have to break it up into several parts. I personally would break up the 20k mark just for um, readability. But you would post those all yeah. on the same day. So 40,000 words is a lot to read in a single post. Oh, okay, you're fine then, yeah. But if it's, if it's under 20K, I'd put it on the same post. But if it's over 20K, I would split it up. That That's just me. Like, I am considering several projects, and all of my projects that I've currently got, got going on that are on my brain to use are all over 50K. So I would have to do at least two posts, maybe three, if I use a work in progress. I was thinking about redemption before the podcast and how I tend to a lot of people use time travel to to create circumstances for redemption and I most often use time time travel to create circumstances for revenge (laughs) yeah you do (laughs) I'm just saying that's just how I use it but a lot of people do use time travel as a method of um of redemption this is what I'm doing. Um, 
It is. I mean, in some ways, it depends upon. I think whether it's a do-over or redemption depends upon the level of awareness the person has of what's going on. Um, I mean, if you send a good character back to prevent the a, a, a bad guy like Voldemort from becoming a bad guy, that's really a do-over for Voldemort, and the Harry doesn't need redemption. So, um I do think redemption requires a certain level of awareness on the part of the redeemed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then there's that whole trope in The Hobbit of basically where Bilbo goes back in time to save Thorn from himself. And the times that I've seen, uh, honestly, one of the best, honestly, seriously, one of the best redemptions arcs I've ever seen for Thorin was lay down your sweet and weary head. Is that how it is? Lay down your sweet yeah, and weary head. I mean that was that was like a whole lot of adulting going on in that story. It was like Oh yeah. Thorin he got manned to, up. Thorin or he got dwarfed up, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, and he he his his redemption was um he was he was he was a he was a big old grown up for um that whole story. Um, 150 years of it. You're right. He was just adulting all over the place. Killed the dragon. I do like adulting. I do like it thematically. And, um, I like it when a teacher, when a, when a character says, okay, I, I fucked that up. I'm getting a second chance. I'm going to do this right. I'm going to be good to people. I'm going to um, love harder, be stronger, be brave, and not be dumb. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to stupid. <laughs> I'm not going to do stupid shit. Yeah, he definitely dwarfed up. Yeah. <laughs> I have totally I... corrupted my cannon, by the way. I will never, ever, ever, as long as I write Harry Potter, see anything but Dwaro when I look at goblins. I've yeah, you kind of ruined my head cannon, I've corrupted my too. head cannon, too. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. But, I've you know, totally I, 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 mean, I started, I, started I, I did the plotting work um, and some scene work on um, a story where, another teen story where Derek goes back in time. Um, and he's given the option to go back in time and uh, um, set things right. And um, I think Derek's an interesting character in Team Wolf arc because I mean he screws up a lot. Not that I mean every single character screws up a lot, but um, he. I mean I think that he kind of got frozen in time at 15 or 16 years old emotionally because of what happened. And I think that he really needs an opportunity um, to grow up and be an adult and act like one, which is one of the reasons why I thought it was um, appealing um, to write a story where he he gets the opportunity to go back in time and fix things after he's grown up and matured. Um, to go back to his 15-year-old self and keep his family with with the knowledge that he has as an adult and save his family and make different choices. And um, But I think that, that one of the things I was um, talking to 
um, somebody a couple of days ago about the whole adult in in um, teenagers or kid oriented fandoms like Harry Potter or Teen Wolf or whatever. And so often when you introduce adults into those stories in in, in a lot of fic, the kids you, you think there's gonna be some adulting going on and there isn't. It's like the kids take over and corrupt the adults and the adults all start making ridiculous decisions. Um I don't know. It's almost like I feel like that all the adults need their own redemption arc where they act like adults. <laughs> it's like, why are you? I mean, even all the adults in the Harry Potter world, it's like every, any, any adult, pick an adult, they say you could write a redemption arc for that adult where they behave like an adult. And which might, which makes my favorite trope of Minerva going, you know what? No, motherfucker. We're not going to leave him on a fucking porch in November. Shut your whore mouth. <laughs> and you could argue that's a redemption art for Minerva because she accepted a lot of stupid from Dumbledore and didn't question it. A lot of stupid. But everybody did. Everybody accepted yeah. all his stupid. And all you need is one person. Somebody wrote a story, um, I loved it, where Arthur Weasley had a, like a bad dream about how the world would be just terrible. If um, he dreamt about what was going on with Harry, I think I don't remember. I don't remember where what the position was. If it was fate or magic or somebody was trying to intercede on Harry's behalf and sent Arthur this dream of where Arthur took the easy path and let Harry keep doing the thing and let Dumbledore driving things and let Dumbledore keep leading him down the easy path where Harry was making all these sacrifices and the consequences was that like everything was lost. Um, and then the, the difficult road was where Arthur stepped in and advocated for Harry, and um, Arthur wakes up, and he um, goes, I think he goes to the ministry, and by the end of the day, he's, they, go get, they go to, go to Harry's home and um, find out that his living conditions and start fostering. He fosters Harry, starts fostering him from that day, and, and says, I'll, I'll be your, your father from now on. Um, and that, to me, that's like a redemption arc for an adult. Is an adult in any of these like kid-oriented, teenager-oriented fandoms is write the adults acting like an adult. That's redeeming them for the audience. Make them be a grown-up. Then take responsibility and say, you don't have to carry this burden. You're a child. You're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. This isn't your responsibility. I got it. You be a kid. Let us, let us be grown-ups. That's the problem I, know, I think I so. have going with um um with the legacy with James um being the regent and Harry kind of, you know trying to navigate what's going to be his future responsibility because what isn't outright said in that fic um and probably should have been said at some point but I really it's it's kind of like um for for me it's it's Monday morning quarterbacking to myself. Um, thanks, Boo. I really enjoyed writing James as a main character. But what I really didn't key in on, and should have, is that um, it's, it's, it's underneath, and I thought it was understood, but I've come to realize that it's not understood. When Arthur pulled the sword, he became king. 
Harry's not a king in waiting. Harry is a king. He pulled the sword, he pulled Excalibur out of the orb of ascension. He is the king of magical Britain. He's just not old enough to lead. He's a boy king. And I didn't make that clear in the narrative. Or as clear as I should have in the narrative. That's why I used your majesty instead of your highness. Because even though he's not crowned, he is the king. And, and that's a magical imperative. Um, and But all of it was really subtle. And some of the readers didn't get it. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to knock you over the head with this. But maybe I should have brought it up at least once. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It's it's after you post something and you go back to it and you're thinking, damn, should I have done that? Should I have done this? Should I have, you know, because there's all these things I have mentioned in my stuff. Um, yeah, James is regent in, in Harry's place. That's that's said explicitly in the narrative. But what I never made clear to the reader, obviously, um, in a very overt way, is that Harry is king. James says it to Lily. He's he's not just my son. He's my king. You can't update Fix, but now I feel like I've... In my desire to demonstrate my craft and to weave things in to my story in a very, um, very... Uh, what to demonstrate my talent <laughs> in a vain fucking way, I neglected to outright say it. And some readers didn't get it. <laughs> but I thought that everybody would get it because, hello, how did Arthur become king? He pulled the fucking sword out of a fucking rock. Well, Harry pulled the fucking sword out of the Orb of Ascension. What the hell could that else have meant? Anyways, I'm just, I'm just, that's a little vanity on my part. Because I really like it when readers get my, my nuance. And it's really frustrating when they don't, when they don't. And I fuck, damn. <laughs> and maybe it's a vanity um, on my part. Maybe it's vanity on my part. <laughs> oh, Julie, where'd you go? She she put me on mute. I She's muted herself. I not I, me. I I sneezed <laughs> and I thought it was the polite thing to do, but I forgot. But I actually said like eight or nine things, um, and I didn't realize I was muted because I've been muted since I sneezed. Um, well, go ahead and say them again. That, <laughs> no, I think it, I think that the context um, of wow, there were several things I said that I assumed that you heard because I thought you were responding to me and you weren't. That's really weird. Okay. Um, <laughs> I promise you I didn't hear you. I, I know you I didn't. Have a little uh, delay no, that, we when, you, when you said that um, what else could it have meant? Um, I, I mean, it, it depends on in the context of your world, of your world building, it couldn't have meant anything else, right? But I think that before somebody <laughs> has a complete grasp on your world building, um, that could have been misconstrued. So, um, I don't know. 
and since I don't remember exactly at what point I muted myself, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that it was definitely um, the, the, the regent part was, and, and when it, it was explicitly stated, because when um, James said that he was, Harry was his king. But I mean, it, you you do have to walk an interesting line in that story with Harry being a kid and being a king. Um, but the reason why kids have regents, kid kings, kid monarchs have regents, is because um, they're too young to really take on their full responsibility. Um, but yeah, that's a tough that's a tough line. That's a tough line. I mean, because a king is a really different situation than just your average, you know, Harry, Harry's an abused 11-year-old kind of situation um, where nobody's acting like a grown-up. Well, and I did want the, the adults to act like adults. That, that was the whole point of the whole thing. Um, but then when I went there, I felt like I couldn't go anywhere else because it was really like – because sometimes when you have an idea, like, eh – and sometimes you have an idea and you go, oh, wow, that's awesome. I love myself. And I had that moment in the legacy when I was plotting it after that podcast. Because I only podcasted up to the battle, basically. And, and I was like, well, what am I going to do with this? And there there wasn't enough. I, I didn't feel like I had enough. And um, then I had too much. And then I came across this idea of of Harry, um, of, of Lily being Harry's pathway. Um or the road to Avalon, basically. And it was, um, when I did that, I thought, well, shit. <laughs> because now James has to balance this duty, um, plus the adulting, plus Voldemort. <laughs> That's a lot of put on a man that, that died really early in canon. <laughs> She's muted me again. Muted herself again. I have again. not. I'm oh. listening. I'm I'm not muted. It's just my environment is really quiet. <laughs> it's a little unusual. Usually I have to kind of feedback from you. I was thinking, I was thinking I just had a thought about on the subject of kind of writing redemption. Um sometimes the success of writing a redemption story for somebody depends upon how much of their bad acts are known to the reader and how intimately because um, I was thinking about the fact that a lot of times you see a TV show, you, a TV show, book, whatever, where you're introduced to a character who feels like they are atoning for something. And they can be the hero of the story. They can be the hero of the TV show, whatever. And we're with them, and they talk about the bad things they've done, and it's kind of this abstract concept. Um, I was thinking specifically like in Leverage, you've got Elliot who kind of, you kind of get the impression he was like um, – um, almost like in a mercenary position, and he definitely worked for a guy who did some very bad things, and it's implied that he had done some very bad things, but he got out of it, I guess, because he couldn't live with how, the kinds of things he was being asked to do. But you, you aren't really exposed to the things that Elliot did. So him, you, you, you interpreting him and, and being him being your, your positive character, and you know, rooting for him and wanting him to be in a relationship or writing about him, it's a lot easier than if you had um, gone through three seasons where Elliot was the um, antagonist 
and he was killing people or abusing children or whatever. Um, and when you're exposed to somebody's bad acts in, in canon, redeeming that character is a little bit harder because the audience, their bad acts have been effectively on screen, right? And so redeeming bad acts that are abstract concepts is a little bit easier to sell an audience than redeeming um, a character who we've seen them, like, abusing Harry or um, killing people or attempting to kill people or whatever. That becomes more challenging because the audience really knows and perhaps hates that character for the things they've done. So it's something to kind of bear in mind um, when you're considering redeeming a character is are there how how known how how intimately known are their bad behaviors? One thing I encountered um, after the fact with the legacy is that James is vilified often in fandom to make Snape palatable. Mhm. When in fact, honestly, Sirius did a lot worse to Snape than James ever did. James just got a girl to fall in love with him. But a lot of Snape fans seem to think that Lily shouldn't have had a choice. Or that she's a bitch cunt for not choosing Snape. See, I don't... I don't get that. Cause I, I mean, even if... Even if you see Snape as redeemable, or you see something good in him, or whatever, I don't get the whole idea that Lily had any obligation towards you know, Snape or that James is a bad guy for caring about Lily or anything like that. I mean, that whole, that whole dynamic is just sort of like, I guess mentally I kind of weighed it off as schoolyard nonsense. And that the unfortunate part of Snape's characterization is that that schoolyard, um, you know, that the schoolyard shenanigans turned very dark for him. That, you know that it, it it stuck with him in such a way that he became a horrible person over it. Um, he didn't have to be a horrible person because he was bullied. So, um, but, except you, know, that you can't point, say it's just that because he was also abused at home. His mother was a blood purist. Um, so Snape had a had a bad start from the very beginning he had a bad start but even then even if you acknowledge all that stuff Lily still didn't owe him a damn thing no she didn't she didn't but that's what I mean is like I I don't understand vilifying James or Lily um I mean you can do whatever you want and I mean I did it in a story where it wasn't it wasn't James wasn't vilified Lily had Lily had allowed herself to be manipulated by Dumbledore um to the intent was Steel to Harry. Snape, Snape's child. Um, and she was, I tried to not write her as being evil because she wasn't. She was just desperate and uh, she basically was desperate and um, afraid and allowed herself to be nip- manipulated into something that she regretted right away, um, but that she didn't know how to get herself out of. So I tried to write her as being just flawed and human as opposed to evil. Um, but, 
you know, it, it's difficult to, I think, ever to really to truly vilify a character in canon that is um, objectively positioned as, you know, on the good spectrum. Really, because there's a whole section of fandom that thinks Dumbledore is amazing. Well, I don't, and a I don't, lot of readers who aren't in fandom don't see Dumbledore as anything but um, a cheap knockoff of Gandalf. At, at best, at best, you can say the nicest thing you can say about Dumbledore is manipulative. And I was, I saw this thread on on Facebook where somebody was talking about, you know, what misinterpretations of characters or something like that are you tired of? And one of the responses was somebody saying Dumbledore being manipulative, and I was like. Wait, that's Are factual. you fucking kidding me? That's not a misinterpretation. That's fact. Um, he was manipulative. So he admitted it. Um, I knew you would suffer. Yes. Ten dark years. Right there. Boom. So I think that there, you know, one of the things that I think that there's a lot of ways you can go. Um, if you want to write a redemption arc for um, Sirius or um, I mean, Slytherin Black was a redemption arc for Sirius. That's what that whole thing is. He spent um, I think it was six years behind the veil watching the results of of life and seeing the mistakes he made. He spent six years behind the veil growing up. And then you know, he was then he was given an opportunity once he wasn't so impetuous and angry to make a difference and make a change. That whole story, the whole story is his redemption arc. Um, because even as much as I like Sirius, he was a deeply flawed character. I, mean, I like him a lot, but he was kind of screwed up. He's also a character that I feel like that a lot of times doesn't really breathe in fandom, that he um, is a perpetual child in a lot of stories I've read him in. Sirius was a plot device. I don't think he was a plot hole. Um, his whole character was a plot device. Which was unfortunate because I thought that he had a lot of potential in the story when, it, when he first appeared in the arc. But then come to find out he was just the beginning of, the, of Act 2 of author's sadism. Not yeah. even the fun kind. I called my husband the other day. I said, you're a sadist and you're not even the fun kind. <laughs> Which isn't necessarily true. But at the time, it was very I'm true. Saying, it was I'm 100% saying, I, true. It's probably the fun kind, too. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about Derek and Teen Wolf, and um, even it, if you look at just his arc and you forget the author motivations behind, you know, dude's campaign against all characters named Derek, um, he does make mistakes over and over and over again, um, and it there's no growth there because the writer of that show would rather name a character Derek and bash them forever and a day 
Because some dude named Derek broke his heart. Right. So every time Derek gets something good in his life where he might have an opportunity to grow, the good turns out to be terrible poison that just breaks his heart again. And then he, you know, emotionally regresses. Um, So it's just, you know, the character gets an opportunity to grow effectively by not being on the show anymore. Um, But then when he wasn't on the show, he got framed for mass murder. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Dead. <laughs> God because God there'd not be an opportunity to ruin Derek's life even if he's not on the show. Let's mess with Derek. Well shit, we're down to ninety seconds. Where does the time go? I don't know. I'll have to do it again tomorrow. Why me on mute? <laughs> <laughs> You're the one who kept muting yourself. I did not mute her. I tried to mute myself she one and didn't work me. out that way. But you guys don't want to hear me sneeze. <laughs> no, or call. no. I sneezed once on the air and got and got so much grief for it because I have a little girl mouse to sneeze or something like that. Anyway, anyways, I got grief. Okay, you're down to 51 seconds. Um, <clears throat> I'll think of a topic for tomorrow's show between now and then. Who knows what it'll be. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone.